0: Buckle in, because I'm going to ask you one more time. Hey, you ever wanted to fill out a survey? Don't we all? I can see it in your eyes right now. You got that survey sickness. I get it. We all do. Why don't you go over to bandlibrary.com, click on that survey link that we've got sitting there on the homepage, Tell us why you listen to this podcast, how long you listen to it. You don't have to tell us your identity. We don't care where you're doing it from. It doesn't matter about all that. We just want to know some basic information, so maybe we can get some sponsors on here. Help pay for this place. Get some new shelving. I'm propping up the reference desk right now with a whole broom handle. It's just the way it is, folks. On to the show. Welcome to the banned library podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about books that have been banned or censored or otherwise removed from school reading lists, libraries, farmhouses. You know, it's horrible when people go out to a farm that's been subsisting on its own. They make their own milk. They make their own chickens with eggs. They make their own pigs by making pigs have sex with each other. Back to the old days. Not like now where you use a turkey baster and a prayer. That's how science works, isn't it? Hormones are a bitch. But people used to go into those old-fashioned farmhouses. Where they had their old-fashioned bookshelves, there are old fashioned books on them, stories on them, like Grimm's fairy tales. You used to have good old fashioned stories, where people get chopped up and murdered for going off and doing against what your mama and daddy told you, or maybe, just maybe, There'd be some new lady in the house. Because, you know, dad was lonely after mama got the cholera. So this new lady came in the house and, well, maybe she ate you too or something. I don't know. People were fucked up is all I'm saying. But people used to go in people's houses, take those books off the shelves, and burn them right there in front of the poor farm family. Just trying to get by. I don't know if you could even believe that, but it's true. They'd burn them and then they'd kick them. They'd kick the ashes around the house. It's just a crime. Today we're going to be talking about one of those types of farm families. With Gary Paulson's Harris and Me. It's sort of a biography... I think, who knows, honestly, because Gary Paulson lived a hell of a life. This is the author of Hatchet, if you've ever read that, and it's subsequent, I think it was two sequels to Hatchet, but a boy who gets lost out in the woods and he's got a hatchet with him and he survives, but yeah, this one's a weird one, and looking into Gary Paulson's life, holy shit. He's born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and his extended family lived there. Mom's name was Eunice. Dad's name was Oscar. He's got two siblings, a full sister, Paulette, and a half-brother, Bill, fathers from a previous marriage. His father was a career army, so they went all over the world, including he worked on General George Patton's staff. Most of World War II he spent overseas. Gary didn't even meet his dad until he was seven years old. He spent a lot of time in his childhood with his grandmother and aunts and just a bunch of different relatives bouncing around. When he was seven, his mom finally joined his father in the Philippines where they lived for two years. And they were both raging alcoholics who didn't really pay attention to the young Gary. And apparently his mom was super adulterous on the ship over there. Allegedly, she had an affair with the ship captain. He then returned to Minnesota at age 14, he ran away, went and worked on a sugar beet farm for a while. His mom was pretty much too drunk to put food in the fridge, so he's the one that worked. Then he worked hard enough to get himself a rifle, and then hunted for his own food. And when he got told he couldn't hunt for his own food, he made his own bow and arrow so he could go out and hunt, silent like He's been married twice, he's got three children, they're all adults now. Yeah, he pretty much lived in poverty most of his life, he had a bunch of jobs, he did a tour of the army himself, he struggled as a writer for decades, and it finally got published in 1966, The Special War, I believe was the first book, while he was working in construction. I'm going to go farther probably in his life. We'll probably cover another one of his books. But this one was just wow. He even, to this to this day apparently, I didn't see any note of his death, did I? I do not think so. Yeah, he chooses to live in relative poverty. His wife illustrates children's literature. It's just an interesting dude. We could probably go... Oh, and he's apparently had a bunch of history with the Iditarod sled dog race up in Alaska. Wrote a couple books on it. He's finished it at least once. Possibly twice. And Contain keeps being a consummate outdoorsman. Which I guess he would. There are five novels in the Brian saga, the Hatchet series, his most well-known and then there's this one, Harris and Me, which he went to live on a farm, apparently right after. Oh, and three of his books have been runners up for the Newberry Medal, including this one, I believe. No, not this one Dog Song, Hatchet, and the Winter Room. This one, I think, got uh, uh, 1993's Best Book for Young Adults. It was published in 1993 by Harcourt Brace and Company. For some reason, my notes say 2003, which is definitely wrong. As far as I know, Mr. Paulson is still with us. A hardy, hardcore old man. I guess he's still writing books. I have no idea. So yeah, Harrison, me. Number 70 on the top 100 banned and challenged books. The list I'm slowly making my way through. And hilariously, again, once we get past, I don't know, 20... The reasons for the books to be on these lists are getting vague. I can only find one for this one by the ALA itself, 1997 in Nevada. It was challenged for language, but retained at Lander County School District. That's really the only time I could see it. I could see why this book's been banned, because it's got all kind of like kids smoking, kids doing dangerous shit. Language at times, domestic abuse, you know, normal kid stuff. I guess even talking back. I don't know. It's def- It's an interesting read. You yeah, can read it in a day if you want to sit down with it. I challenge you to because it's a fun one. Our narrator, I'm just going to call him Gary because that's pretty much who he is. I think this is sort of an autobiographical he just, Gary Paulson thought up some funny things that some boys would get up to on a farm and then used his roots with an alcoholic mom and dad. And he was placed in with this family, the Larson family. His parents are basically drunks. And he alludes a lot to living in the Philippines and getting sort of different things in the Philippines. So when he first gets there, he's driving in because the deputy bringing him in and he's got this box and he's got all this his stuff in just a box that's all he's got and in that box are some nudie pictures from the philippines that he paid a guy for and the second he gets there for some reason i do not know what the sister's name is but i'm gonna call her glinda it was something like that galinda Gal- i don't remember what her name was but yeah he ends up taking his box back because he's like Well, if she finds out what's in there, and that's the first thing we get of our new narrator, him being protective over his nudie picture. He's a flawed character right up on. And he meets Harris, little boy about his age. They're going to be sharing a room. And one of the first things he knows about Harris is that, well, he likes to blow up frogs. I don't mean, like, explode them. I mean, well, I guess he learned the hard way that you could do that. But he's actually got an inflated frog. He shoved a straw up its ass and blew on it until it puffed up like a puffer fish. And he's just got that hanging out. And he tells our narrator, yeah, well, we'll teach you how to do that later. Go to sleep. They bed down for the night, and then he wakes up. Harris sort of kicking him, saying, get up, get dressed. We gotta get down there, and it's still dark in our area. like, "What the fuck?" And so he gets gets himself down there, and Glenda and the mom—I forget I think I think her name is Carol. They're sitting there, and they're making food. Harris is at the table. There's Nut, Newt, the dad of the family. He's just sitting there with a big cup of coffee, and that's all he drinks. And there's another man named Louie. Louie sounds like a nightmare. Louie has just shit growing in his... Like literal... I think at one point they say there's sort of feces looking stuff in his beard. And food just matted there. But he's like this just big, burly, hobo, crazy psychopath of a man. Who doesn't talk much. He just sits there and he's sitting there. With his big plate. And he's put syrup all over the plate he's just waiting and Harris says Harris also has his knife and fork ready and he's like what the hell's going on our narrator is he doesn't know what's going on and then all of a sudden a stack of pancakes gets laid down in the middle of the table by the ladies and before our narrator or even Harris can go for it Louis grabs the entire stack, like eight of them, and just starts shoveling them in his mouth as fast as you can, just eating this whole stack of pancakes. And then another stack comes, and he eats those too, and Harris gets a little bit of it, but the narrator's like, I didn't see shit. And then another stack comes down, and the narrator gets a little bit more, and by this point, Louis's starting to get a little full, and he's slowing down a little bit. So yeah, they finally get some food. And they go out. Harris rolls himself a cigarette. Says, nothing like a smoke after a meal. You gotta love that. Like after uh, Stand By Me. So we got our kids smoking. And I think our, our narrator tries to roll one too, but he sucks at it. And they wade through this cow crap in the barn. Harris is like, okay, we gotta go get... You know, just be careful. He's wandering through... And all of a sudden, the narrator is just something just out of nowhere kicks the shit out of him. Gets him in the nuts, gets him in the stomach, and he's down for the count. Gets him in the head, too, I think. And we learn that, oh, yeah, he's totally been attacked by a cow. He's been hit. The Harris let him back there, and the mom and the sister are like, you can't just let him. He's not used to the farm. You can't just wander him around, make him think that he knows where things are you got to be careful with him, Harris. Harris is like, well, he's just a dumb old boy. And he gets up, and him and Harris then have to go out by the chickens, and Harris is looking a little sketchy. He's like, what's going on? He says, well, he's here somewhere. I can't see him. And our narrator's like, who the hell are you talking? And all of a sudden, this chicken explodes out of nowhere, this rooster. And... Harris starts fighting with the chicken and beats the shit out of it and scares it off and says, that damn thing. Now, oh, I forgot to mention, too, that Harris tends to cuss, and if his sister's around when he cusses, she knocks the hell out of him. That's where the domestic abuse comes in. It's with love. She doesn't want him to be that harsh on language, but still. So, yeah, and then they go over to where they're milking the cows. This is the main, seems to be one of the main industries of the farm. They've got a bunch of cows and they're milking them and they have this big machine that separates the milk from the fat and, you know, stirs it up really well. And they have to hand crank it. And this is where we started to learn that maybe this is like early 50s, 1950s is where we're set. We don't really give a good description and farm life seems pretty farm lifey if you get that drift. Like it could be early 20th century, it could be even later 20th century. Seems to be some electric stuff around, but not a lot. Anyway, he's he's getting there, and that has to separate it, and there's this giant crank, and Harris is like, okay, you start turning the crank on the separator, I'll be right back. And the guy starts cranking, and once he gets it going, it's not that hard, but it's still, it's rough. And like we've learned before, he's not used to this country boy stuff. So... Turning the separator really starts to wear on him after a while. And then Harris comes up and says, okay, I'll take over now. And he turns it like three or four times. And while he's doing the separator, like the jugs of milk keep getting full and people keep coming over and grabbing the jug of milk and putting an empty jug in there. And Harris takes over and he does it like, you know, half a dozen times. And they're like, okay, milk's done. He's like, that son of a bitch Harris tricked me into... Doing all his work on the separation. We're supposed to be doing this back and forth. But then he completely forgets about all that because, well, it's time for a snack. And I'm not going to lie to you. Their snack is my normal breakfast. Eggs. Bacon. Piles of potatoes fried in the bacon grease. Just the best sounding freaking breakfast ever. Especially fresh on a country. Oh, God. Country table. And just like before, Louis eats the shit out of most of it, but Harris and our narrator, Gary, they fight over it a little bit and they get their own. And they eat a lot. And again, Newt just sits there, the dad. He doesn't really talk and he doesn't really eat, just sips on his coffee, watches everybody else. Galinda, that's her name. We'll try to remember that from now on. But yeah, Harris curses a little bit more and she knocks the hell out of him and nobody says hey don't knock the hell out of that small child harris is like nine or ten maybe and then after they eat harris says okay we're gonna go te- take out you ever play war the boy's like yeah i played war before that's we can do that And he goes okay well, we're gonna play we're gonna go against those commie japs and the narrator's like um commie commie japs Because this doesn't compute. He lived in the Philippines. He's he's a worldly person. He knows communism. He knows Japanese people. And for some reason, those two things just don't seem to mesh. But Harris is just like, it's the pigs. We're just going to go fight the pigs. So they get in there and they jump. They get in there and they just straight up jump on the pigs. And start sort of corralling them up. But there's just an ocean of pig shit in there. And mud. And at one point, the narrator even says that He's got pig poop all over him and even under his eyelids and it's just gross. And Harris gets him up and sort of like has to drag him because he just can't see and he's all fucked up over to the river that runs by the farm and they both bathe and jump in there and get ready. And they get out. He says, oh, okay, well, that, that was kind of fun. Fighting the pigs and getting covered in pig shit and bathing around a little bit. And then dad, the newt, comes over and says, time to mow. So they hook up the mow to these big, giant horses. And it's pretty much Harris and Newt's job, or Harris and our narrator's job, to catch the mice that come behind. But they've got some competition. See, for every mice, that mouse, whatever, that Harris and our narrator catch, Louie, crazy guy will give them half a cent so two mice is worth a penny so they want to catch as many mice as possible except they've got a little bit of competition because the competition is Buzzer giant fucking cat and as they follow behind the mower and like at first our narrator doesn't even see the fucking mice Buzzer sees them instantly and just like swallows the mice whole and poor little Harris is trying to grab some and our narrator gets a couple but for most of basically for every two that he gets one goes to Buzzer because there's this giant cat that's just looking at him ready to kick his ass. When I say giant cat I mean I'm serious. Apparently they looked it up one time and Buzzer might be a lynx. But there it is. And Buzzer does end up catching the most by the narrator's count. And we learn that yeah, Louie, at the top of the barn, has this little model village of the entire house. And the reason he wants the mice is because he skins them and makes little clothes and stuff for the model people. And it's actually a very impressive scale model of the entire farm, and the, the village, the entire area. This gross dude has this very artistic flair and apparently can skin mice really well. But that's the only reason they couldn't give the one that the cats catch because they're all torn up and he wants the little, yeah, a little, okay. He wants, this is just a weird part of that story. I'm not going to lie. In a story that's fairly strange. So yeah, our narrator brought a bunch of comics to him too. And in those comics, there are some Tarzan comics. And Harris is like, let's do that Tarzan shit. So he gets this old rope together. It's got a little bit of spring to it. And he. He basically does, he doesn't He does do anything half-assed. Let's just tell you that right now. So he ties it to the top of the barn. And he goes to swing from the top of the silo, I think, to the top of the farmhouse or somewhere in there. And as he's swinging, because it's got that bend to it. And the branch that he tied it to has got a little bit of bend to it. He goes down. And as the narrator's watching this, the fucking rooster that attacks him attacks the narrator. And he goes running out towards Harris. And Harris is swinging down, so all three get caught up and they're flying along and the rope breaks as they're dangling over the pigsty and everybody goes down to the pigsty. Harris, our narrator, and the chicken. So again, they're washing again. And then Harris, everything up till now has sort of been set up. Get to know everybody in the place. Mom and Dad aren't the most, you know, you know that Dad, Newt, is the most stoic guy. You know that Glinda. She's just you know she's gonna she's got a bit of a temper. The mom really doesn't have any kind of personality in the story whatsoever. She's just really nice and says things like, "Oh, he has a good t- he has a good appetite, huh?" And then she makes food. And that's pretty much it. But then there's Harris, who at this point in our book starts rolling along with just one thing after another. So yeah, the Tarzan thing's the first one, but now it's just a series of things that happen. And here's where we learn who Buzzer is. Because Harris wants to make some bows and arrows, and they do. And they go around, they're shooting, they're having fun, and Harris sees just this little bit of gray, and he's like, oh, it's a mouse, I can get that. And he shoots. And there's this is also the first, I think, instance where the the narrator starts, Gary Pawson himself, the writer, starts having a little bit more fun. Because it says, like, okay, on any other day, in any other time, there's absolutely no way Harris would have made this shine. It's a tiny, maybe quarter sized piece of fur, far enough away how he even saw it is miraculous. But he makes the shine. And it turns out to be just a little piece of Buzzer's fur and that cat comes around and decides to take him out because you don't do that to that big ass lynx and this is where we learn that Louie found this kitten and brought him along and that he's the one that the only one that the cat really allows him to touch no matter what you do you don't touch Buzzer I mm-hmm. believe Buzzer come I don't even remember why they call him Buzzer Something like he chews things up like a buzzsaw or something like that. So they finally decide, hey, dad, mom are like, hey, we're going to go into town. Harris is like, are they going to have orange pop? And he says, I don't fucking know. So they go into town and they instantly get there. Harris goes off and just beats up some dude because he has a marble. And Harris also, when they sit down and watch the movie, they're like, Harris, or, our narrator's like, so what movie is it? And he's like, it's the, the movie. Duh. It's got Gene Autry in it. He's fight, He's, you know, he's, he's shooting the Indians. It's the movie. And there's some back and play where Harris doesn't quite understand that movies don't happen every time that they're displayed. He seems to think that this is something that happens every week. The Gene Autry gets his shit together and has to go out and do it. Not that he did it once and it was recorded. So we sort of see that, you know, just how back, how backward a lot of Harris's thinking is, but he's got more fun. And yeah, so they really only have one reel of the Gene Autry movie. I think it's Gene Autry. So he gets bored of, and they just play it over and over again. And he's like, do they have anything else? He says, well, they've got the World War II news, but everybody's seen that. narrator's like, yeah. Probably sure they have, because the war's been over five years. That's where we get our time place. So he's, he bounces, he goes outside, sees a bunch of teenagers making out outside. And there's a band, and they're having fun and enjoying themselves. And Louie, if you don't remember, likes to drink. He likes to eat. So he's drinking. He got there the whole time. And Apparently there's this orange pop that everybody drinks except for some of the adults can have a beer, and Louis just sits there and has all the beer, just one after another, until he's just standing there, and he's peeing himself, and he's just really, really drunk. Dad ends up having to take him out and throw him in in the back, and our narrator passes out on the way home, and he thinks it's just the nicest evening he's had in a long time. And the next day, of course, because Gene Autry did it, Harris wants to, So, he's going to jump on a horse like Gene Autry did. Remember, they've got these giant plow horses. Not the normal everyday horse that you see, you know, do tricks, stunts and stuff. These are these big mountainous. I almost almost want to say they're like the Clydesdales. They're just big ass horses. And he leads one of them over. He says this is the first time that I think Bill and Bob, I can't remember what their horses' names are, but there's two of them. And the narrator pretty much says that after Harris got done with him, after his Gene Autry phase, that neither one of the horses really trusted the boys much after that. So he's going to jump on the horse like Gene Autry did. So he gets him, gets the horse over right around, you know, where the barn is. And he gets up on the hayloft and says, it's easy. The horse is big. I can jump down on there and I'll ride off into the sunset and it'll be pretty. the narrator says, yeah, no. That horse looks as big as that horse is. It looks really tiny from up here. Harris says, well, once you jump, I'll jump down there first, and then you jump after me. And
1: Harris says, okay.
0: So Harris jumps out. And the narrator goes to jump, and then, like, nope. And sort of hangs on to the door. Harris immediately hits his groin, because that's pretty much what happens when you jump leg spread. He gets bucked off, because that's what happens when horse has something laying on its back. The narrator actually, like, thinking back on it, there's probably years of, you know, millions of years of evolution and at bay when predators would jump on the back of horses, and that's pretty much what they would do, is they would buck that predator off and then kick the shit out of it, which is pretty much what happens. Harris gets, he's already ruined his groin, and then he gets bucked off, and then while he's going bucking off the back, the horse kicks him, remember, this is a giant plow horse, so it knocks his ass all the way through the barn. And he pretty much lands back there. And this is where sort of the fanciness comes in because even when our our narrator got kicked in the beginning, Harris should be dead by all accounts. I think that's one of the more fun parts. And especially on this next one, because and this next one made me laugh pretty hard because, okay, they had two horses. After this, the first horse won't let him go near but the second horse will he says okay what we're going to do we're going to shoot from that horse we're going to get our old plow horse up to a good run and we're going to shoot from it and we're going to have a little fun the narrator says well i guess so i guess that works okay so he goes and gets his little cap gun but he did not have any caps on it the narrator does and harris comes and we're rolling out with a shotgun <laughs> and he says, okay let's do this and then they go out, and they get the they get on the other horse, get him up there, and they get him to start up, get him to a good, like, fast trot, whatever the hell you want to call it. Not quite a gallop. And the narrator, he's shooting his little cap gun, thinking, like, this is actually pretty fun. This is good. Everything's going great. And I, there was a line I didn't write down I should have. But Harris apparently didn't tell anybody, especially the horse, that the shotgun was loaded. Because when he fires it off, he just puts it over the horse's head and fires off that shotgun. And the horse just straight dumps them both off and is like nearly about to trample them both and actually hits the shotgun and breaks the shotgun. And Harris says, yeah, you're going to have to take the blame on this one because, yeah, I got a couple strikes against me. And the narrator's like, no, 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 this was all your fault. You're the one that loaded the shotgun with buckshot you didn't fucking, you know, no. He says, well, you tell him that, or I'm going to tell him about the pictures that are in your little box. And he says, you've been going through my stuff? He says, yeah. And if you don't, I'm going to tell him about the nudie pictures. So he takes responsibility and doesn't really get any damage or anything. Everybody knows it was probably Harris, but still, it's kind of funny. Anyway, they pile up a bunch of hay because it's getting about that time of year. They go swimming, getting naked, and they're swimming around, having fun. And even Newt, Nut, Newt, whatever his name is, he comes in swimming. And he's, like, having fun. He just gets naked with the boys, and he starts just literally throwing them around like hay bales. Then he gets out. and Harris is like, he used to do that all the time. But once the money started getting dangerous, Dad just doesn't come and play with us anymore. <laughs> the narrator's like, that's not fucking playing. He was literally just throwing us around. Jesus. And Harris goes, oh, shit. There's a tick. We're going to have to dip the cows." So what they do is they set up this big, sort of like a trough situation where there's this giant, like almost swimming pool, like one of those outdoor swimming pools. And they fill it up with a dip, like a tick dip. And they've got one ramp leading into the dip where the cow's basically they're just going to load up all the cows into a chute and make them each get in, an and then they can walk out of the dip once they're in. It's kind of efficient, but it is what it is. And they you know, they end up doing all the cows, and the cows are fine, but then there's this bull who's giving them a lot of trouble. And Harris is trying to, like, shoe the bull on, and he accidentally gets stuck in there. He gets stuck in the chute, and he starts to get charged with the bull. And Nut gets in there, his dad... And this is one of the more hardcore fantasy elements of this. I've never heard of this, but he basically takes his fists and does that, you know, big punch maneuver with like two hands together. And he's got these, you know, giant farm hands and beats the shit out of this bull, just hits it right on the head and knocks it damn near unconscious. And it says the whole time that he's thinking more about the bull when he broke his arm over the bull's skull. And he gets Harris out, and Harris is like down for the count. He's been hit once, and his sister Glenda's crying over him. And we find out, you know, exactly, you know, she doesn't want to hit him. That lasts about a day. Once Harris actually wakes up, and he's fine. We've got the next, yeah. It's just this big crisis now. Is Newt going to be able to do the farm work, you know, with a big cast? Can they pay for the doctor? You know that sort of thing. But that sort of hand waved it doesn't really come back. The next night, next movie night, they come up and our narrator meets the most beautiful woman in the world, Elaine. She's about his age, and she, he just falls hard. And she comes over and talks to him like I'm on the farm over, and he's just smitten completely. Of course, then Harris comes up and says. But well, he's, he's, he's my simple cousin. He can't talk that much. Uh, he's just on snot too. He's a little crazy and Elaine just leaves. And Our narrator almost kills Harris. It's kind of funny. So yeah, the buddy. To get back at him, he starts thinking about ways to get back at him. Then nut, Newt, Canute, I don't even know how you say his name. K-N-U-T. Anyway. He's just installed an electric fence. So our narrator's like, okay, Harris. You're a badass. You're crazy. I got these nudie pics. I'll give you two of them. If you pee on that electric fence. And Harris is like, I don't know about that. He says, go ahead. Do it. And Harris does it. And it's one of the weirder descriptions I've ever read. Apparently Harris, as soon as he pees, the electricity goes through and pulse so he starts peeing and he's like oh it's not doing it. and about time he says anything the pulse goes through goes up his urine and it's one of the more interesting descriptions as his body arcs back the stream of urine cascades in the air almost puts out a rainbow effect the spray of water as Harris cart- cartwheels back and lands and is basically stunned and our narrator says well there you go i guess that worked out for you and he goes to hand him the nudie pics but about that time Louie walks up reaches over snatches the nudie pics up looks at him goes like okay and takes off. and the boy narrator goes up searching for the nudie pics and finds the model this point he's found the model before but now there's like a more accurate representation of the farm he's you can tell louis has been working on it and he gets kind of choked up because he sees the little picture of himself like oh even louis crazy old hobo who eats and drinks like a psychopath even he thinks he's on part of the farm to put me in it's it's really a nice moment actually And Harris has one good little scheme left. He's decided he wants to have a motorcycle. So his parents go out of town. He's sort of been deceiving this. And this is where, yeah, this is where the narrator learns that maybe Harris hasn't been just doing things willy-nilly. Maybe he's been plotting and scheming a lot because he says, oh, I'm going to take the I'm going to take the motor off that washing machine, I'm going to hook it up to the bicycle that we have, and I'm going to hook it up. Quote, I also decided, still later, that probably God wanted to save Harris from himself. Because everything that could go wrong with this motorcycle thing goes wrong. And then it goes right. Everything goes right to where this thing works. Except Harris took the regulator off because normally there'd be just a certain speed that the motor could go, and that's as much gas as it's going to get, and that's it. But Harris decided, well, maybe his motorcycle needed to be a little faster than a normal washing machine cycle. So he took the regulator off, and second he fired it up, he got it fired, and then goes off and damn near kills himself. Loses his pants in the crash, actually. Completely. Can't find the pants anywhere. Has to get a new pair. And then they're playing in the corn one day. And the deputy shows up. And just like that, the boy gets picked up and taken away. Back to his parents. Crazy drunks. They've called him back, and that's where they're going to be. And the book ends with an epilogue. He gets a letter from Harris. Apparently, Glenda wrote the letter, but as Harris was dictating it to her, he'd say something, she'd write down what he'd say, then hit him for it. It's very strange. But he also gets a little figure that Louis made that was part of the farm of our narrator. And it's just really, it's a sweet ending to a story. He's part of the farm. He's got a little figure of himself made by a madman clothed in fucking weird ass dead mouse skin skin yeah the book starts out kind of, and that's it that's the end of the story it starts out pretty slow but once the random schemes of Harris sort of pick up and start moving it really works and when he notices the little figure of himself, it's, it shows its heart. But the schemes are pretty much my favorite part. And it's just sort of one thing after another. There's no real connection. We never go back to the girl. We never go back to anything else. They say we never learn that if the dad's arm really did long-term effects who damage, it was just sort of a one-time concern, and that was it. Sort of hand-waved a little bit later. But yeah, it was... It's a really good book. I highly recommend it. If you know a, a boy or a girl who really likes sort of farm life or wacky hijinks sort of book, this is definitely one for them. And that's it for this week. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this episode. Thanks to our newest friends of the library donating on the Patreon. Naomi, Kate, Mateo, Jen, Anna First Thought, Kathleen, Gregory, Kirsten, Amanda, Elizabeth, Kat, Bob, Kimberly, Brendan, and Susan. If you want to hear your name here, join the Patreon at patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Be a friend of the library. Support this episode. They're the ones keeping the roof on on the building. Keeping us alive and well. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music. Dances and Dames by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.